Guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. Well, today we celebrate Gaudete Sunday, the lighting of the rose candle, the rose vestments, in response to the church's call, rejoice. Gaudete means in Latin, rejoice, that the source of our joy approaches. And the poor, as our gospel points out, the poor have the good news proclaimed to them, the glad tidings of the gospel. That word, good news, comes from a Greek word where we get the word evangelize or evangelism, euangelion, which means glad tidings. But it has a very specific context, particular to the Roman Empire of the time. From time to time, the emperor would issue a proclamation, and his heralds would go throughout the empire, stand in the town square, in the city, the main, the main road, and proclaim the words of the emperor. And they were called glad tidings, not because they had anything in them that was particularly good news for the people receiving it. The reason they were called glad tidings is because they came from the one who held the world together, Caesar. So when Christians adopted that language, proclaiming Jesus is Lord, instead of Caesar is Lord, they adopted that same language of the good news to say, the author of our salvation, the one who proclaims the good news of salvation, he is the one who holds the world together. Now, it is indeed good news for us that we're saved from our sins, that we are no longer enslaved to death. But that's not why it's called good news. Not because of its content, but because of its source. And so we're called to rejoice. We're called to be joyful. And so this particular Sunday, I want to speak a little bit about how we hear God speaking these words of joy. God is speaking to us in the Mass, in the liturgy, in his word, and in his Son. But as St. John of the Cross taught, whose feast day we celebrated just yesterday, a great master of prayer and of interiority, he taught God's first language is silence. God's first language is silence. T.S. Eliot, great poetry, poet of the 20th century, asked, where shall the word be found? Where will the word resound? Not here. There's not enough silence. Recently, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, has been conducting a series of catechesis on the Eucharist. And just a few weeks ago, he spoke about the importance of silence. He said, when we go to Mass, we might show up a little early. We start to chit-chat with those around us. But it's not a moment for chit-chat. It's a moment of silence for preparing ourselves for dialogue. A time for the heart to collect itself in order to prepare for the encounter with Jesus. Our Holy Father said silence is so important. So with our Holy Father, Pope Francis, I want to offer a reflection, maybe a gentle reminder about why we keep silence in church and why silence is more than just an absence of talk waiting for the show to start. Recently, someone I trust a great deal who has a lot to say about uh, Mass and liturgy and, and the work of the church was talking about a conversation that he had 
with another very devoted disciple. This man said he was talking about how Sunday Mass felt like a chore to him. This is somebody who's, who's very much on board with the work of the church and identifies with the church and sees it as his life's mission to, to proclaim the gospel. He said, Sunday Mass, it's just a chore. I have to make myself go. I don't look forward to it. And when he was asked what he would prefer Sunday Mass to look like, he said, daily Mass. Daily Mass. At least at daily Mass, I feel like I can pray. It's less of a production and more simply focused on this quiet attempt to listen, to encounter God in the heart and through the word and through the sacrament. Now, if that's the case with somebody who's all in with their faith, I wonder how true that is of others who are struggling to understand. Why, why do I have to go to Mass? Why is this important? So, I'd like to offer three reasons why we as a church can grow, or how we can grow, and why we should grow in keeping silence. The first, and most important, is respect for God. If you've ever visited a monastery or been on retreat, a lot of times you'll see a, a sign posted on the door of the chapel as you enter. For the sake of Jesus present in the tabernacle, kindly maintain silence in this place. Just as if we had a dignitary visit, a political figure, or maybe Archbishop Nauman, to be carrying on conversation idly while he was addressing us or standing before us or seeking to engage with us would be profoundly disrespectful. We would never do that. That would show that we, we weren't raised properly. We don't have the right manners towards someone who has great and profound importance. If that's the case with a, with a human being, how much more true is it of Jesus present here, body, blood, soul, and divinity, whom we adore as our Savior and our Creator? I don't think it's any mistake that in the United States, only about a, a quarter of people believe that teaching. I, I don't mean people, I mean Catholics. Only about a quarter of Catholics say, I believe that Jesus is fully present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in that tabernacle and on the altar and given to me in the sacrament of the Eucharist. I think that ref that's reflected in some of the habits that we've acquired and perhaps reinforced by some of those habits, by how we carry ourselves before, during, and after Mass. I don't think that's a surprise. So out of a sincere reverence for what we believe the church is teaching to be, this kind of almost fairy tale that God has come and chosen to live with us and in us through these sacraments and in his presence in the Eucharist. How should we act to reflect that? One way is by keeping silence here in his house, in this temple, which is dedicated to him, built for him. Which leads to the second reason why I think we keep silence in church. The first, respect for God, but the second is respect for others. Silence is the most welcoming thing that we can offer. <laughs> that might sound like a contradiction, but I believe it to be the case. Silence is the most welcoming place for those to come 
who are seeking God and a prayerful and sacred encounter with him. The world is a noisy place. We're surrounded with noise. Not beauty, not harmony, but ugliness and empty noise that constantly distracts us, that drowns out the still small voice of the Lord. The one place, the one place that we should be able to come and have a prayerful experience of God's presence as a church. Maybe just the thing that people need when they come to church is a prayerful recovery of the sense of the sacred and to see that reflected in the people around them. I remember as a chaplain at Emporia State, we would host adoration each Wednesday night, and many times students would invite their non-Catholic or non-Christian or irreligious friends. And we would place the Eucharist on the, on the altar, exposed in the monstrance, and it would be silent. And you would have 30 or 40 college students on their knees, silently adoring that presence. And people would come out of that with tears running down their face, people who had no belief in the Eucharist, no belief in God or the church, and say, what is happening in there? What, what, is, what is going on? That's the most incredible thing I've ever experienced. Right? That's, that's a profoundly welcoming thing for them, that God can touch each one of us. And we believe that to be the case, that we don't have any doubt that our Lord is present and speaking to each one of us. And so we clear out a space where that can happen most effectively without distraction. One of the most uh, beautiful examples I have of silence is when I just a year and a half ago took a group of college students on the Camino de Santiago, a pilgrimage route, a medieval pilgrimage route through northern Spain. And we had an incredible experience passing through these wonderful landscapes of the mountains and the seaside, visiting the beautiful Spanish Catholic churches and other Spanish culture, the towns, the town squares, the beauty of that place, meeting people not just from all over Europe but all over the world who were walking that same route and had been for the last 800 years. But by far, I would say the, most, the thing that impressed me the most was our silence. Because each morning we'd wake up before the sunrise, <clears throat> put on our packs, and we would have a short meditation. We would reflect a little bit on the, some words of the saints or some scripture, and then we would walk in silence for two hours without talking to each other. During that time, we had a chance to process and listen and enjoy and savor the things that we had been experiencing up to that point, because as you can imagine, such a climactic, kind of peak, sublime experience as, as walking a, a, a pilgrimage route like that, there's just too much to take in. And so, that time every day, we would dedicate to prayerful silence. And I think, one, that kept us from killing each other after about two weeks in constant presence of one another. But secondly, opened us up to something really profound and beautiful and drew us together made our bond tighter because we were drawing near to the one stable figure, the one stable presence, Jesus, that undergirds our lives, that is the rock of our lives. So, 
in a world where we too are surrounded with this overwhelming stream of information and messages and, and, and distractions, we too need silence in order to be able to sort through what is, what is important and what is insignificant. We need that. We need that at least once a week, if not more. I would say every day. So the silence that we keep here in this holy temple isn't just not talking, but an eager, prayerful, listening silence that prepares us to hear. What do we want newcomers to see about this community? If somebody works up the, the, the energy or the courage to come to Mass after being away for a very long time, or to come to Mass for the first time, what do we want them, what, what impressions do we want them to have? Do we want them to have the kind of experience that those college students would have when they came and, and were surrounded by others, people like them, completely fixed in adoration on, on the presence of God in their midst? Or do we want it to feel more like, I don't know, a Rotary Club meeting? That's, that's a very sincere question that I ask because we're sending a message. And I suggest that the truly urgent thing for us, for our community, and for those we're here to serve is a recovery of the sense of the sacred, of God's presence with us. And that finally brings us to the third reason I believe we are to keep silence in church, and that is respect for ourselves. If you're anything like me, if you come to church, your mind is just running, full of distractions, full of all kinds of things that I have to do today that I keep juggling and rehearsing in my mind. And if I spend an hour in quiet prayer in a church, most likely it's probably just the last 10 minutes where I actually settle down enough to pray and listen. And I hear confessions and I hear people say a lot, I'm distracted, I don't pay attention, so I have a feeling we're all in the same boat. Silence is a, an ascetical practice. Asceticism is, is a self-discipline that allows us to eliminate what weighs us down. Anything that hampers our spiritual or interior growth and therefore acts as an obstacle to our prayer. And so, with this practice, silence becomes first a condition for being able to pray, but then later, as we still our hearts and minds, it becomes actually an act of prayer itself. Be still and know that I'm God, says the psalmist. Here in, in this moment of quiet, tranquility, and peacefulness, there's a fullness where God sees me and hears me and loves me. God is closer to me than I am to myself. This is what the church needs. We don't need another administrative reform, another pastoral program, another restructuring of our chancery. The program exists. It's what's been here all along. Drawn from the gospel, from the living tradition, Jesus himself, who we know, love, and imitate in order to live in him and through him. And so transform our world, which is being degraded because human beings live as if God did not exist. Let's confront the own interior doubts that we may have that Jesus isn't enough. That our communal life, our worship here at Mass, needs something else other than Jesus to make it worth our time, worth the other's time. Let all of that insecurity and uncertainty be driven from your minds and hearts 
Jesus is enough. And the silence that we keep is something more than just not talking together, waiting for something to start. That the silence after communion is more than, oh, somebody forgot to plan a hymn. No, we're going to enjoy and savor what's just happened. Christ in me, given to me in his fullness. Me, a sinner, totally unworthy of that gift. So before Mass, yes, let's be welcoming. Greet your friends. Make an effort to know the people around you, the people you see week in and week out. But maybe when we come into the church building itself, that greeting is just a smile and a wave. Or if I see someone that I know who's down on their knees praying beforehand, maybe the most welcoming thing I can do for them as they seek to prepare is to pray for them and with them in silence. If someone breaks the silence, we don't have to flash an angry look at them. Or the worst thing to do, shh! That's not the spirit of silence. No, just remind ourselves that we're a living sign. I'm a, I'm a, a fleshly, incarnate, bodily sign that might be posted on the door of the chapel for the sake of Jesus, present in the tabernacle, kindly maintain silence in this place. For it's here that we find our true joy. It's here that those glad tidings reveal to us that our lives are a gift meant to be enjoyed and shared according to the pattern of Jesus Christ resounds within us. So may it be this holy season. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.